We're covering a lot of ground this morning. And I was like, God, what do you want us to take away from all of this? What's your heart? What, what do we need to hear? Because there's so many things going on. And what he put on my heart was salt and light, okay? Jesus said that as his disciples, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, right? And so what does light do? It illuminates, right? Things that are in darkness, things that are unseen, it allows us to see them, it allows us to perceive them. And so as light of the world, we are able to be used by the Lord to illuminate who Jesus is, illuminate the kingdom of heaven, illuminate the heart of God to the people of the world. We're able to illuminate truth. We're able to illuminate what a life in relationship with the living God who made us can be like. And then salt is a very interesting thing. Salt is a preservative, right? So if you, you know, used to be in the old days, it used to be in the old days, uh, you know, if you needed to preserve food, uh, especially meats, you could just pack that thing in salt and it would keep the bacteria and everything uh, away and it would preserve it. And as Christians, our relationship with the Lord and our walk should have a preserving function in the world around us that we help be a, a buffer against moral and spiritual decay within and without the church. And then salt also has that ability to have a purifying quality about it. You know, saline solution. You know, you can use that and the salt in there to, you know, kill bacteria and things that you might have in, in your eye or, you know, some people use a saline spray in their nose to help with sinus infections and whatever. So it has a, a purifying and a cleansing property about it. And as Christians, our lives should bring a purifying factor into the world in which we live. Again, not just outside the church, but within the walls of the church as well. Salt also makes people thirsty, right? And, uh, you know, you can eat a bunch of potato chips or something like that, and you're looking for a bottle of water or something to help with the thirst. And Jesus said, you know, if you're thirsty, come unto me, you know. And as Christians, our lives should be such that we should make people thirsty for Jesus. Go, man, I want what you have. And that's that, that shining as a light and being that salt. And the last thing is salt adds flavor. And it's a weird thing, and I don't get it. But you can have sweet things like, let's say, chocolate chip cookies, right? If you don't put salt into the batter, it just doesn't taste right. But salt's not sweet, you know? Salt's not. So what's going on with that? Salt adds flavor. And people are looking for the meaning of life and purpose for life and wanting to have flavor in their life. 
and it's in Jesus Christ. And we're the ones that are supposed to show the beauty and the sweetness that comes from a life in Christ. But that can only come when we abide in Christ and we are filled with the Spirit and walking by the power of His Spirit. It's in relationship. You know, when, when you have a good relationship with somebody, it impacts other areas of your life, right? And so when our relationship with the Lord is sweet, it just makes everything better. Not always easy, but always better. The period that we're going to look at in Israel's history is a bleak time. It's a bad time. We have Ahab, the wickedest king that Israel ever had, and his adorable wife Jezebel. Songs have been written about this woman. She was so wicked. They hunted down the prophets of God and executed them. They erected idols and led Israel into idolatry and gross immorality. They had a little girl named Athaliah. Athaliah marries Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram. Okay, you keeping all this in, in order? Okay, we're not even gonna get into all the names and stuff, it's so complicated. But basically Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, good king. Not always the brightest bulb, but a good king, and he loved the Lord, okay? And I love the guy because it's like, you can love the Lord, but you know what? We make bad choices sometimes, and the Lord's still there with us. But his son Jehoram married Athaliah. And Athaliah's presence into Judah brought all sorts of wickedness and evil and idolatry into Judah to the point where she destroyed part of the temple to have a place to worship Baal right there in the temple of God. And there's just like espionage and murder and assassinations and I mean, it's crazy stuff. It was so unstable, so wicked. And so what we have here are men and women who are salt and light in the midst of this dark time. And I think it's an encouragement for us because if they could be salt and light in that environment, we can be salt and light in the world that we're in today. And this world needs salt and it needs light and it needs Jesus. And it needs the body of Christ to be walking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of his spirit. So what we're going to do is focus primarily on Elijah, Micaiah, and Elisha, okay? Because there are things that we will see them do and qualities of their life that are in Jehoshaphat's life and in the priest's life. And there were a whole bunch of prophets that are even unnamed that they were doing things. And so the, the godly people, the salt and light, sometimes they're groups, sometimes it's just one person. But they go out in the name of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God uses them to preserve and to purify and to draw people to himself. Salt and light. 
will see in their lives kind of what that looks like. And I hope that as we go through it, you'll be able to go, okay, all right, so these are things where I can shine. These are places where I can be salty. And we can go to the Holy Spirit and say, help me, help me do this. So we begin in chapter 17, verse one. It says, now Elijah, first Kings, yes. First Kings, chapter 17, verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab is the wicked king of Israel. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord he went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The first thing that we see here for Elijah, he's standing before the king, not a kind king, not a just king, not a king that loves God by any stretch of the imagination. And he flat out tells him, there is going to be a drought in the land. And my word, God is going to bring judgment upon you and upon the land for the sin. That takes courage. And if we're going to be salt and light in the world around us, we have to be courageous. We have to be able to look at all of the things that may be coming against us or standing against us and go, it's okay. With God's help, I can do this. It's like Joshua and Caleb, remember? Everybody else is freaking out. We can't do this. We can't go into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb were like, God said so. He's with us, let's do it. You know, they had courage, but their courage was rooted in their faith their confidence in the living God. And we see that play out time and time again in the lives of the people here who follow the Lord. So the first thing that we see where, where he's walking in faith is God tells him, okay, you're gonna to go to the brook Cherith and the ravens are going to feed you and you're gonna drink from the brook. During a drought, that brook is going to dry up and you don't know when that's gonna happen. But he's like, okay, Lord, I'll go where you tell me to go. He goes out into the wilderness. Ravens are not known for their generosity, okay? And so he's gonna be trusting God to send these creatures, you know, to feed him every morning and every night. And he goes, okay. And the time comes where there's no more water. What do you do? Well, God says, okay, I want you to go and we won't read this, but he says, go to Zarephath. There's a widow there, and I've appointed her to take care of you. Okay, so he goes and he follows the Lord's command. And he gets up there and he meets her. And he says, hey, can you, can you give me a little bread? She says, all I've got is a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm gathering sticks. I'm going to make a loaf of bread. My son and I are going to eat. And then we're going to die because we don't have any food great provision there from the Lord, right? 
a gal who cannot even feed her and her son more than one meal. But Elisha believes the Lord. And he says, do me a favor. Just make me a little cake, okay? Do that first. The Lord will take care of the rest. And you may know the story. She, she does it, okay? And as a result, that flour and that oil do not run out until the rains come again and the famine ends. God provides miraculously. And this is key because when we walk in faith and we follow the Lord, other people are encouraged to trust the Lord as well. See, we can talk about how good God is and how we can trust him and all, but if people don't see us doing it, they're not going to be very inclined to do it themselves. And I've been guilty of that. Throughout my life, it's like, yeah, God is faithful. God is so good. You know, we can trust him and everything. And then boom, something will come up and I freak out. It's like, yeah, really trust in the Lord there. You know, and people see it, you know, within my family, friends, I'm freaking out. I am not trusting the Lord. And it's very evident to everybody else around me. But when we walk by faith and we really trust him, he'll take care of the situation. And other people will see that and they will be encouraged, hopefully, to trust the Lord as well. That's that being that light and that salt. You know, oh, God really does move. God does answer prayer. Yeah, he does. Because they see us walking in that. Another thing that we see, if we're going to be salt and light, is compassion. Chapter 17, over uh, in verse uh, 17, the widow, she has a son, he's young. It says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord. The word there for cried is that it was this heartfelt plea and urgency crying out for the life of this little boy. O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity upon even the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And they come out of the room and he presents the little boy back to mama. Again, she has seen the power of the living God. She goes, I perceive you're a prophet. And it's like, wow, okay, so eating the same little bit of uh, flour and oil for weeks, months, years, uh, you know, that didn't quite drive it home, but this did, okay? But you see the compassion he cries to the Lord. It's a burden on his heart. And we can so easily be critical of the world. 
critical of the lost, be condemning of the lost. But like, the, like Paul says, we were just like that. You know, we were lost. We were unlearned in the things of God. We were in error. We were in sin. And we forget that. Salt and light, you know, Jesus never tore into people, unless they were a Pharisee, um, but, you know, the people who needed a good correction, Jesus was not, uh, he didn't pull punches, but with the regular folk, the lost, the hurting, the broken, the wandering, Jesus showed compassion and love. And you remember that scene where he's standing on the Mount of Olives and he's looking out over Jerusalem and he's weeping. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you into my arms as a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you weren't willing. He had such compassion for the people, even though they were rejecting him, even though he knew that they were going to crucify him, not too far down the road, and even from the cross, he's telling or asking the Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't have a clue what they're doing. And there's that grace and compassion and mercy from our Savior to the lost. That's what we see with Elijah here. This poor woman is heartbroken. She's already a widow. And now her son's dead. And it breaks Elijah's heart. And he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord answers. If we will be salt and light, we must have the heart of Jesus Christ and a compassion for people. That's what Jesus was about. The next thing I want us to look at is in chapter 18. If we are going to be salt and light, we will be hated. And we will be accused of being the problem, not the solution. Chapter 18, verse 17, Ahab and Elijah meet up. Three and a half years have passed now since the drought began. And it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. We see this happening in our society today where Christians are seen as a problem. Some even have, I saw in the news the other day where one professor, I guess, likened uh, Christians to, to Nazis, okay? Um, we're seen and are becoming more seen as a problem in society. They did the same thing with Jesus. Now, Christians can be unchristlike quite often. We don't want that. We want to be like Christ. 
And Jesus said, you know, if they hate you, have courage. They hated me first. Because the darkness hates the light. Ahab hated Elijah. He hated the light. So we need to understand, we don't want to be condemned or criticized or hated because we're being jerks. But if we're walking in the ways of the Lord, we need to understand that that's part of being salt and light. They hated Jesus. There will be those who hate us. And so they come out to Mount Carmel, verse 20. And it says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. One man against 850, okay, prophets of Asherah and Baal. Well, one man and God against 850. And that's what matters. There's the courage. He's doing what the Lord's told him to do. But do you notice he lays down, he draws a line in the sand. It's like, look, if the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Don't do this limping back and forth and vacillating between two gods. Stick with the one who's the real God. If we are going to be salt and light, we cannot compromise in our walk with the Lord. One of the biggest things that people have that they complain about Christians in the church are is hypocrisy. We say one thing in church, we act one way in church, we go outside church and we go to the restaurants, the workplace and everything and our lives are a different story. People see that. I was, uh, I was involved with the church years ago and I just couldn't understand why a lot of people in the surrounding community just wouldn't come no matter what you did or invited. I found out later that the biggest reason was because key people within that church lived a different life outside the church in that community. And they didn't want to have any part of that church or the Lord. We can't compromise. We have to hold to the Lord God Almighty and live as Christ would have us. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit will help us do that. But no compromise. And you know the story. You know, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they try to get fire to come down from heaven to consume the, the sacrifice. Nothing happens. It says actually no one answered. And at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah says, all right, he rebuilds the altar of the Lord, the stones, he puts them back up. And then he cuts up the ox, puts the wood on the altar. He digs a pit or a trench around the altar that would hold about seven gallons. And then he had the people bring water and pour water all over the sacrifice second time and third time to where everything was saturated and the entire trench was filled. 
And this is after hours of the prophets of Baal and Asherah were cutting themselves and screaming and yelling and crying out to a non-existent deity and nothing was happening. And Elijah says to the Lord, basically, Lord, show who you are. And fire came down from heaven. It burned the stones, the ox, the wood, the water. It was all gone. And the people cried out, God, he is Lord. He is Lord. And then Elijah commanded that all those false prophets be put to death. Purifying the land. Purifying the religious system that was in Israel. There can't be compromise if we're going to be salt and light. And then after this, going on to verse, um, verse 43. If we're going to be salt and light, we have to be persistent in prayer. We have to have open, continuous communication with the Lord. Okay? And so he gets down on his knees and he prays and asks God to send the rain. And he says to his servant, go and see, you know, if any clouds are coming. And it says, uh, he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, that's Elijah. Oh, go again. Seven times. At the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. That's the Mediterranean. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Seven is the number of perfection or the number of completion. Elijah prayed it through. If we're going to be salt and light in the world around us, we need to pray it through. We need to be on our knees before the Lord, praying for people, praying for situations. And nothing may happen for a long time, but the time will come in God's timing where well. Remember Jesus says, seek and ye shall find, ask and it shall be given, knock and the door shall be opened to you, right? The grammar in Greek is keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Don't give up, be persistent. And that's what Elijah did. And it just started out as an itty-bitty fist-sized cloud coming up from the sea. And there's that faith again of, of Elijah. He said, boy, you tell Ahab, he better get to Jezreel because it's going to be a downpour. And it was. But persistence in prayer, communion with the Lord, that's what Jesus did. Of all the things the disciples asked Jesus to do, was teach them how to pray because they understood that's what was so vital for an intimate relationship with the living God. Prayer. 
But there's something else that comes into play here in chapter 19, and it's fear. You know, and I love this here because we tend to look at the people of the Bible as just, wow, they just have it all together. You know what? They're just like us. And in chapter 19, it, verse 1, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So he got out of Israel, okay? He's scared to death. And he left his servant there in Beersheba. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. <coughs> Excuse me. Saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no longer, I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Two hundred miles, fourteen days, with the food that God supplied him. He went back to the place where the Ten Commandments were given. He went back to the beginning. He was scared. Have you ever been in that place where you're trying to do what's right? And you're trying to live the way you should be for the Lord. And it just seems like you're getting nowhere and you get discouraged and you just want to give up. It happens. Yet the Lord is there and encourages his servant through the angels and gives him what he needs to get to where God wanted him to be. And that was on the mountain of God where it all began. And he gets there and God says to him, what are you doing here? He says, I just want to die. There's nobody else but me. That wasn't true. There were other prophets that people like uh, Obadiah, not the prophet Obadiah, but another guy, a servant of Ahaz, hid. There were others out there, but sometimes you feel alone, don't you? You just feel like it's only you, and there's nobody else. And you're just worn out, run down, and you've got nothing left. And the Lord meets him in that place, and the fire comes, but God wasn't in the fire. And the wind comes, but God wasn't in the wind. And the earthquake comes, but God wasn't in the earthquake. So often we want the big things, the fire, the wind, the quaking. That's what happened at the giving of the law. It scared the people to death. You know, as God showed his power and his glory and his splendor. But God wasn't there in this case. And then there's this whisper. 
And it says that Elijah wrapped his cloak around his head and he goes to the mouth of the cave and he's there. And God says again, what are you doing here? And he just pours out his heart to the Lord. When we are salt and light, we will probably face times of feeling alone, afraid, broken, and want to give up. But the Lord is with us. And what's cool about this is, this is the point where God speaks to him very personally and gives him the game plan. And God is actually going to take him home. Not in a way that he expects either, I think. But he gives him the last of the game plan. In verse 15, the Lord says to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. So he's down at Mount Horeb along the Sinai Peninsula. God's saying, Go all the way back up into Samaria, I mean, into Syria, uh, Syria Damascus, go way north. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Not the people of God, but God is appointing a king over that nation. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you will anoint as the king over Israel. Ahab is going to be taken out. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So God gives him the next steps. So being that salt and being that light... God is always there, even when it seems like there's nobody there at all for us. And he gives him the next steps, and now we see Elisha come into the scene. And so, we know the story. Elijah's walking along, and Elisha's out there plowing with the oxen and stuff. And it's kind of like this, this uh, kind of makes me think of this Jedi kind of thing or whatever. He just walks along and he takes his cloak and he throws it on uh, Elisha. And Elisha has the cloak of Elijah. And he's like, so he chases after him. It's like, Elijah goes, what do I have to do with you? It's like, you threw your cloak on me, man. You know, what do you mean? What, what, what's going on here? What are you doing? And so in verse 21, look at the attitude that Elisha has. He was following Elijah, and it says, He returned from following him, and he took the yoke of oxen, oxen, the yoke of oxen, the yoke of oxen, and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. If we are going to be salt and light, what Elisha does here is he cuts the old life away. This, this is what he does. He's a farmer. He sacrifices the oxen to the Lord. He burns up the yokes. And he gives all of that to the people. Totally dedicated to the Lord. He's all in. That's what a disciple is. Somebody who is all in with the Lord. And we're supposed to leave that old life and that old man behind and live for the Lord, which we can do with the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, that kind of goes back to that. You can't vacillate between two lives. You know, you're all in or you're not. 
That's how we're salt and light, following the Lord with everything we have. So go on over now to chapter 22 of 1 Kings. We have a guy named Micaiah. He's a prophet. And Ahaz, or Ahab, is going to go to war against Syria. And Jehoshaphat's visiting, and he says, Hey, will you go up with me to fight against the Syrians? And Jehoshaphat says, Our people are your people. We're one. Yeah, of course you are, because your son is married to Ahab's son. Or son, ooh, Ahab's daughter, okay? So you've got this alliance by marriage, and Jehoshaphat says, well, before we do this thing, though, shouldn't we see what God has to say about this? And so Ahab brings in the prophets of Baal and false prophets. And they go, oh, yeah, sure, you go for it. Um, no problem. You know, 400 guys. Yeah, God will bless you in this. Don't sweat it, Ahab. Jehoshaphat, you go. And then Jehoshaphat says, well, do you, do you have any prophets of God? And Ahab's response is, yeah, but I hate him because he only speaks evil to me. Hmm. Another thing about being salt and light is when we speak the things of God, people are not necessarily going to want to hear them. And they will probably hate us for it. And that's Ahab's attitude toward Micaiah. And so going down to verse 13, they call Micaiah in. And the messenger went to summon Micaiah and said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets are with one accord, are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. So basically, hey, Micaiah, don't rock the boat. Okay, let's just be politically correct here. Let's just kind of be ecumenical in our, our religion and faith and just, just play, play with everybody else. Okay, be nice. All right. His response is, verse 14, Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. I'm only going to say what God says. No compromise. So he goes in, verse 15, And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give, you, uh, give, it, to you, uh, give it into the hand of the king. So Ahaz's response is, But the king said to him, How many times? Shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Ahab knew what the 400 had said wasn't right. Ahab knew that, you know, basically Micaiah's going, yeah, whatever, do what you want to do, because you're going to do it anyway. And he's like, no, you tell me the truth. He's like, all right, you want me to tell you the truth? You're a dead man at the end of this day. It's over. Everybody's going to scatter when you get taken out. So being the brilliant man that uh, Ahab was, he said to Jehoshaphat, tell you what we're going to do. You go out in your kingly garments, and I'm going to go out in disguise, okay? And so how's that sound? Jehoshaphat's like, okay, sounds good. It's like, really, dude, think about this. You know, you're just putting a big target on your back. And what happens during the battle is they realize that Jehoshaphat, no, that's not Ahab, 
that's not the guy we're going after. Don't get anybody but Ahab. But he's in disguise. And it says that one of the Syrian soldiers shot an arrow at random and it went right into the gap of the armor um, on the side of Ahab's armor. That was a guided missile from God, just right in, took him out. If we are going to be salt and light, we have to speak the truth. In Ephesians, we're told to speak the truth in love. We can speak the truth with harshness, be unloving, be unkind, be judgmental, critical. We don't want to do that. We are all in the same boat. We all fail, we all sin, we all mess up, and we need to correct each other on these things. And we need to be honest with each other about what the Word of God says. And so we're in a time where people say, well, that's your truth. Well, no, that's his truth. And I'm just sharing it with you. But understand, when we speak the truth, it will not be received by many people. But we need to be loving and honest and upfront. So poor Micaiah... He's in jail because Ahab says, all right, throw him in jail, give him bread and water until I get back. And I'm wondering if Micaiah went, that is going to be a long time, you know, because you ain't coming back. But we have to speak the truth. Going over to 2 Kings, it's the time where Elijah is taken up and Elisha assumes that position. And Elijah is traveling through the land. Elisha will not leave him, leave his side. Verse 9 of chapter 2, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet... If you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And I wonder if Elisha, from that point on, he's just looking as they're walking. You know, he is not taking his eyes off of Elijah. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm watching you. I'm not taking my eyes off of you. And at that point, a chariot of fire splits the two of them apart. And a whirlwind comes and takes Elijah into heaven. And the cloak falls down. And Elisha picks it up. Now, when he says, I want a double portion, he's not asking to be a greater prophet than Elijah. The double portion is what the heir would receive from their father. Elisha actually cries out when Elijah is taken up, my father, my father. He was his spiritual father, his mentor. And he was looking to him as that leader and that head of his spiritual life. And so um, he was asking for the inheritance of the ministry of Elijah. And when they had crossed the Jordan the first time, Elijah took off his cloak, hit the Jordan, parted it. They walked across on dry land. Now Elisha has the cloak and he goes to the Jordan And all the sons of the prophets are watching. 
And he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he strikes the Jordan and it parts and he crosses on dry ground. And the sons of the prophets say, the Lord is with Elisha. The spirit of Elijah is upon him. This is key. If we're going to be salt and light, and if we are going to walk with the Lord as God intended, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, when, before he ascended into heaven, he said that the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. Okay? We have the Spirit of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead, who was there at creation, indwelling us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And we are never intended to try to do the things of God. And I'm not just talking ministry. I'm talking about just living the life that the Lord would have us live apart from his enabling. We can't do it. That's why he is called our helper and our comforter and our counselor and our teacher and our strength. We have to. If we're going to walk with Christ as he desires, we have to do it with his help. We have to do it by his spirit. That's what Elisha did. And through his life, we see him doing incredible things, taking care of people. You know, just his heart was for the things of God and for people. In chapter 5, we have something interesting too that pertains to being salt and light. Chapter 5 is the story of Naaman. He is the commander of the Syrian army, right under the king. He's also a leper. And he, you know, he doesn't know what to do. And there's a slave girl, an Israelite, who she says, hey, there's a prophet in Israel. And he can probably help you. And so he goes to the king of Syria, the king says, hey, I'll write you a letter. So he writes a letter out saying, hey, please help my bud here. He's got leprosy and, and can you take care of it? So Naaman goes to the king of Israel and the is king of Israel looks at this like, am I God? You know, is your king trying to cause a problem here thinking I can heal you? And so he's panicking and Elisha hears of it and he sends word to the king, he says, you send him to me. Naaman doesn't even get to the house. And God sends Gehazi out there, or Elisha sends uh, Gehazi out there and says, look, just dip in the Jordan seven times. And this is what Naaman says. This is uh, verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpat, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? The Jordan's a dirty river. Has anybody ever been there? Okay, it's dirty. Yeah, there's places where it's like, you, you cannot see like a foot down. You know, it's just so dirty with silt and all sorts of stuff. 
But this is why he's saying, you know, there's better stuff up in Damascus. And he says, could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in a rage. But his servants came near to him and said, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. The servant's like, look, if he'd asked you to do something major, he would have done it. He's just asking you to go dip in the river. Okay. And the Lord healed him. And look at his response. Verse 15, then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, and that says Elisha, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings to, or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. And then he goes on to say, just so you know, I'm just going to let you know, I have to go in with, into the temple with my king and all, and he rests on me and I kind of support him and all that. When I go in, understand I am not worshiping that God. It's the God of Israel only. That's who I'm following. Here's this pagan who does not know the Lord. And he comes into an engagement with the living God through Elisha. And he is won over to the Lord. If we're salt and light, we will be a witness outside the church and inside the church. We need to have that attitude of reaching beyond our walls. Last thing. Chapter 6. Verse 15. Okay. Verse 15. So the king of Syria is upset because every time he's doing a battle plan against Israel, Elisha tells the king of Israel what's going to happen. They thought there was a mole, okay, in Syria getting information to the enemy. And they said, no, there's this dude. He talks to God, and man, he knows what you're saying in your bedroom. Oh, well, let's go kill him. So he sends out an army to take out Elisha. And they surround the city. And Elisha's servants like, oh my word, we're in trouble. And it says, verse 16, the, the servant says, what shall we do? Verse 16, and he said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes, opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elijah. When we are salt and light, we need to remember 
that we are with God and God is with us. We're not alone. It may look bad, but God is bigger. And what's interesting here is he prays that his servant's eyes would be opened and he prays that the army's eyes would be blinded. And then he takes the army and he leads the Syrian army to the king of Israel and hands the army over. And the king's like, so should I kill them all? And he said, no, no, they're captives. You're not gonna kill captives. Why kill them? Feed them, send them on their way. There's compassion there. Love your enemies. That's what Jesus said. We are in a time where there's so much hatred, so much vilifying of other people. People are saying that they long for love, but there's not much love in this world. We are to love our enemies. We are to seek their good. The king gave them a huge banquet and then sent them all home. And guess what? They never came back to Israel. <laughs> no, they didn't. They were touched. Salt and light. And you might be saying, I can't do that. That's Elijah. That's Elisha. That's Micaiah. James tells us in James chapter 5 that Elijah was a man with a nature just like us. We saw that. He knew what it was like to be courageous and he knew what it was like to be scared to death. He knew what it was like to be bold and he knew what it was like to just give up and say, I just want to die. I can't do this anymore. But he prayed. He prayed fervently. He prayed it through. And God answered his prayers. And James says, the prayers of a righteous man avail much. In the world that we are in, I don't know if I would say it's quite as bad as what was going on in Israel. Maybe. But if God can have men and women in that environment, bringing change and hope and light and life, he can do it here too. We rely on the Spirit. We pray and seek the Lord on behalf of others and ourselves. And let's see how God would use us in a dark and trying time. Because He never changes. And He wants to use us for such a time as this.